audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, well, good morning, church. Uh, I hope that you're doing well this morning. Uh, Listen, we are coming to a transitional moment in our story, a transitional moment in the book of Genesis. Uh, we've been with Abraham and Sarah for uh, months now, and, and we've, we've walked with them through ups and downs, through tests and through blessings. And we've been with Abraham and Sarah through this incredible journey of faith. And now in Genesis chapter 23 and a little bit in 25, we transition from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rebecca. Um, I, I, I want us to think about it like this. Think about Genesis, like the beginning of a faith relay race. Uh, one character of faith passing the baton to the next. Well, here in our text this morning, we are looking at a baton passing moment as Sarah and Abraham uh, close their chapters and pass the, the faith baton to the next generation. And as we look at this text this morning, we are going to encounter something that is going to cause us to think deeply about faith and about the future. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop before we get into our text this morning. I want us to go to the Lord and, and ask Ask him to speak and to help us this morning as we walk through his word. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for giving us your word. We don't thank you enough for this, but thank you for speaking and revealing yourself. We would not know you if you did not first reveal yourself to us. And so we thank you and we we thank you for the opportunity that we have here today along with your people to come together and to walk through your word together. And as we do this, Lord, we need you. Would you help us? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to apply? For your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis 23. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab them. Genesis 23, our chapter opens on a bit of a somber note, warning, because our chapter opens with the death of Sarah. Sarah was 127 years old, having seen and experienced so much, uh, she dies in the land of Canaan. And in verse two, we see Abraham weeping for her, as any husband would who says goodbye to his loved bride. I mean, as we we open this, um, we can all relate to this scene. I mean, as finite humans, death is so difficult. There is a there's a unique pain in saying goodbye. And now, as followers of Christ, we know we don't grieve. As though we have no hope as followers of Christ, we know death, death is not the end. We know that we trust that we do not grieve like the world yet. 
even as followers of Christ, death is still difficult. Saying goodbye is difficult. We as Christ followers grieve at death. We just don't grieve in the same way as though we don't have hope. For anyone who has ever had to say goodbye to someone you love, it is, it is difficult and it's a time for mourning, a time for tears. And here, Abraham weeps for her. And then in verse three, it says, and Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham is looking for a place to bury Sarah as a traveler, as a sojourner, as a foreigner. That's a challenge. What do you, where do you bury your dead when you're a sojourner, a traveler without land, a settler without property? But hear me, I don't want us to miss this because this is yet another incredible demonstration of Abraham's faith right here. I want you to remember, just remember for a moment, the, the promise that the Lord gave to Abraham back in chapter 17. If you remember, he says, I'm going to establish my covenant between you and me, your offspring through generations, everlasting covenant uh, to be your God and uh, to be the God to you and your offspring, right? And then, and then he says, the Lord promises Abraham, he says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All right, just take that in and think about where Abraham is here in this moment. Abraham at this point is still a sojourner in the land. He does not have any land to claim. He does not have any land to bury his bride. See, God had promised the land. God said, I will give this to you. But as Sarah breathed her last, and as Abraham needed a place to bury her, he did not own the land that had been promised to him. So in light of that, just think about what is happening here. Abraham, in reality, is burying his bride in the land promised to him by God in faith. In essence, what he's doing is he's burying his bride in faith. It's incredible. I mean, last week we looked at that text where, where Abraham, that incredible scene where he was willing to sacrifice Isaac in faith and obedience to God, and we just looked at the faith that was on display there in that text. Just incredible. Well, this week, maybe you've never even considered this, but this week in Sarah's burial, yet again, what faith is on display here. You do not bury your beloved wife in some random piece of land, some random place. In fact, just think about it. As a sojourner, would it not have been safer to bury her somewhere like Ur, your hometown? Abraham was, in a sense, burying Sarah in faith, believing one day 
that the burial site would be a part of the land that God had promised to give his people. This was a demonstration of faith in what God had promised. Abraham trusted that the Lord would do exactly as he promised to do. A, a commentator says it well, says Abraham purchases only a portion of the entire land that will someday belong to his seed. In this small purchase is embodied Abraham's hope in God's promise. That's just incredible. It's just incredible. And because of that, Abraham could see no other place to bury his wife than the promised land. Regardless of the negotiating and the price that would have to be paid. And speaking of that negotiation, let's briefly look over this awkward transaction here for a moment that's coming next in our text. Verse 5, the Hittites answered Abraham, here is my Lord, you're a prince of God among us. So you see the tremendous respect that Abraham had earned before this people and that there was this recognition of this people to Abraham of having this divine favor. And there was this respect. And, and by the way, one more thing as we read this, this transaction here that we need to understand. This is all taking place at the gate of the city. And understand with me here that the gate of the city is more than just a place of entry into the city. The city gate was an important meeting place in this culture. It was the place where official civil business took place. It was right here at the gate. And so what we see here is Abraham, who is well-known um, well-respected, um, comes together with the people of the city to reason to meet together at the city gate for this official business. And so they say to him, bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold you his, from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And so Abraham, verse 7, arose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land being, again, this is just kind of a posture of humility and respect, right? Verse 8, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of your sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Mechpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now, there's this common theme that we're going to see here. Uh, and that common theme is that Abraham is not looking for a deal. He's not looking for a donation. He's not looking for goodwill or a sympathy donation. No, Abraham was going to pay the full price for this land, and he was set on it. Listen to this, verse 10. Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, again at the gate hearing this. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in at the gate of the city. And this is what he said, verse 11. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the, the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now, if you were to study this passage, you would see quickly that there are differing opinions of this little negotiation that is taking place here. Now, some believe that this was an act of goodwill, like benevolence on behalf of Ephron. 
Like he's saying, hey, uh, Abraham, you've had a rough go. You know, uh, take this gift. I know you're hurting. So take this as an offer of respect and goodwill, right? Some believe it to be that. While others see what's going on here as an ancient Middle Eastern haggling tactic, like an ancient sales tactic. <laughs> and I'll be honest, you know, after studying this a little more, looking at some of the customs of this time, I think I'm more inclined to believe the latter uh, over the former. But here's the reality. Either way, either way, the same reality is true. No matter how you look at it, the same reality is true. Abraham was not having it. If benevolence, Abraham declined. If haggling, Abraham wanted no part of it. Because here is Abraham's response. Verse 12, then Abraham bowed before, down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. In other words, Ephron here accepts the deal. Now, listen to this, verse 16. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver. And I love this, I love this, because in the text we're gonna see that Abraham was fair in his dealings. Listen to this, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants, right? Everything was above board. So the field of Ephron in Mechpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried his wife in the cave of the field of Mechpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it was made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now let's pause. For a moment... I want you to fast forward with me a bit. And the way that you're going to do that is by flipping one page uh, to the right. <laughs> I want you to fast forward 40 years by flipping one page to the right. And look with me at one chapter, two chapters later in Genesis 25. And we're going to read about the moment that Abraham is going to join his wife and be buried next to her. Verse 25 or chapter 25, verse 7 says, These are the days and the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Mechpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. Now, as I said, 
at the beginning. This is the baton passing of faith. This is a transitional moment passing from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rebecca. It's this transitional moment in our narrative. And if you remember last week, what we did when we walked through our text is we we mirrored Genesis with Hebrews 11. We walked them kind of side by side. Now this morning, with, with our text this morning, I'd like to do something similar because these texts are really beautiful companion texts. And I want us to look closely this morning at Genesis 23, but through the lens of Hebrews 11, all right? But more than that, we're going to do something um, we're going to do something crazy this morning. More than that, what I'd like for us to do with the time we have left is to go on a bit of a journey together. I would like for us to gradually zoom out from our text in Genesis 23, to zoom out further and further and further from Genesis, to zoom out through Hebrews and even out through Revelation. I want us to zoom out. And as we do this, I'd like for us to realize and recognize how we fit into this story. To realize how you, today, here 2019, San Antonio, Texas, fit into this incredible narrative. All right? So buckle up with me. You, you, you ready? Honestly, honestly, this just blows my mind. God's word is so rich and good. It never gets old. Follow me now on this journey. Let's go to Hebrews 11. And I'll start right in verse 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that, th that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Then you, as you look in your text, you're going to see here that the author of Hebrews then talks about Abel and Enoch and the faith of Noah. And then he gets into verse 8, into the faith of Abraham. And Hebrews examines the faith that was demonstrated in the text that we have been spending all of our time with over the past several months. And by the way, uh, okay, I might be a nerd. I am a nerd. Um, but I just think this is incredible. How cool is it that the author of Hebrews... The author of Hebrews spent time reading, memorizing, walking through, meditating on the same texts that we have been working through. And that just blows my mind. It might just be me. I am a nerd, but that is awesome. That is just awesome. But we're told, we're told here in Hebrews about the faith of Abraham. And then I want us to move forward and I want to look at verse 13. Listen to this. These all died in faith. This is Genesis 23 and 25, right? Abraham, Sarah, they both died in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised 
but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Remember how Hebrews defines faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not yet seen. Well, Abraham and Sarah died in faith, hoping and clinging to what was not yet seen, clinging to what was yet to come. In fact, verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the, that land which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. In fact, as we thought about our text, they could have journeyed back for the burial, for example. They could have returned back. That was safe. That was known. That was guaranteed. But they didn't. And why? Because the promise of God was better. And they believed it in faith that the promise of God would come to pass and that it was better. They died in faith. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. A city. Abraham, the sojourner, the exile, died in faith, looking forward to the place that was promised to him, the city of God that was his, the city that was being prepared for him. And now listen. Listen how Hebrews will now take Genesis and apply it to you. In other words, listen to how the word of God now applies the word of God to you and I. It's just incredible. Listen, move down with me to verse 39. It says, and all these through, though um, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now listen to this. Therefore, meaning because of this, in light of this, as a result of this, because this is true, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Witnesses who have come before us, the saints who have come before us, witnesses like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, David, Jeremiah, Mary, Paul. In fact, even beyond the saints recorded in scripture, faithful saints that we get the great joy of learning about and reading about, like William Tyndale, George Whitfield. Charles Spurgeon, Bonhoeffer, all of the faithful who have come before us. Faithful saints like Joe. Many of you know Anne, Anne Rainey. If you do not know her, you need to know her. Uh, she has been with us from the very beginning of our church. She helped plant our church. Her and Joe helped plant our church. A little over a year ago, Anne's husband, Joe, went home to be with Jesus. And I asked Anne this week if I could share this. And um, 
you gotta love it. Her her response to me was preach it. So that's just awesome. Um, as I read in Hebrews about this great cloud of witnesses, it's Joe who I think about. I remember that toward the end of his earthly life, he was dealing with an incredible amount of physical pain. And in so many ways, he was ready to go home to be with Jesus. But in the midst of that, he said so often, the Lord must have me here for a reason. There must be one more person that I need to tell about Jesus. There's got to be one more. My mission here is not quite over. (laughs) It is incredible. I remember that anytime any of us would go and visit Joe, we would go wanting to bless and encourage him, to minister to him. Yet, every time it was us who would leave, having been blessed and encouraged, it was Joe who would minister to us every time. I'll never forget the feeling I had at his funeral. As we talked about the gospel, we celebrated Christ and we celebrated a life well lived. I felt as I, as I stood there though, I'll never forget this. I I felt this is a baton passing moment. This man of faith has just passed his baton. He just finished his leg of his race and he passed his baton. That same faith baton that had passed through Genesis, through the pages of the Old Testament, through the pages of the New Testament, through the pages of history was now being passed on by Joe. And now we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, saints who have come before us like Joe, who stand We stand, we stand in a long line of faith baton passing from Abraham to Joe to you and to I, and one day we will pass it on. One day we're going to pass it on, and because that is true, Hebrews says this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God church let us run that race with eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, knowing we are not alone, but that we stand on the faith shoulders of all who come before us. Knowing in faith that one day we will see that city that is prepared for us by God himself, that one day the relay race will be done. Knowing as well, like we read, that the saints who came before us all died in faith. Died in faith, believing, trusting, desiring a better country, a heavenly one. 
believing as Hebrews 11:16 says therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city they died in faith looking ahead looking forward to the great city the city that God had prepared for them and it's the same city church that you and I look to today Church, we are in an epic relay race. And I want you to hear me. Here's the reality. You don't know what leg you're on. You don't know how many legs there are to go. You don't even know how long your leg is going to be. But here's what you do know. You know that you have been handed the faith baton. So run run. You know you have been passed the baton that has been passed through the ages from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Esther, Isaiah, John, Peter, Augustine, Edwards, Billy Graham, to Joe Rainey. Passed on and on and on. You know that you have been handed a baton and you know that you have a finish line ahead. And you know that all who have run before you are now cheering you on, on your leg of this race. You are connected in this faith story. This is your story. By faith, you are connected through grace in Christ. This is what we know. And we know that at that finish line, when this grand relay race is over, that we will be brought into the city of God, the city that God has prepared for us. And so for a moment, let's talk about that moment and about what scripture says about that finish line. To do that, I want you to fast forward with me again, um, with me again by flipping to your right, go to the last few pages of your Bible. The book of Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation, because what this is, is a glimpse of the end of this race. Revelation 21. We get to read about our finish line, uh, read about that city, the city that we cling to in faith. John, who was given this glimpse, this vision of what the finish line was going to be, he wrote this. Jesus tells John, actually shows John, John, this is what the finish line of this grand relay race is going to look like. Are you ready? Write it down, right? Let's read. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Finally, the moment is here, church, the city that Abraham and Sarah longed for, the city that was prepared for them. Finally, this is the end of the race. John sees the grand finish line, and it gets better. Verse three, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Notice this is the same language church as Hebrews 11. That says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he prepared for them a city. It's the same thing. Notice here, 
The city was prepared. The people were his, and he is their God. This is the fulfillment of time. This is the finish line moment, and it just gets better. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Praise God. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Praise God that this is our our future in Christ. This is our future in faith. We are saved by grace through faith. This is our hope. And John continues in Revelation he says, also, he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true, meaning this is going to happen. And he said to me, verse six, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Listen, church, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Just as Jesus said in John four thirteen, whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again, right? Verse 7 says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. To the one who conquers, to the one who finishes the race. It reminds me of Paul's words in Romans 8. Paul's talking about all the difficult things that we face, trials, sickness, pain, death. And then Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, we come to Christ For our drink, we come to Christ because in him we are conquerors. It is Christ. It is through Christ. This is our inheritance. This is our finish line. This is it. But then John gives the counter warning here in Revelation. He says, but, but apart from Christ, but, but as for the cowardly, the the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The message here is heavy, and it is clear. You and I are standing in a long line who have come before you. You are either standing in the long line of faith or you are standing in the long line of faithlessness. To the one, there is eternal joy, a perfect city, a perfect savior at this finish line. To the other, there is eternal suffering, a lake, as our text says, that burns a second death, separation from the perfect savior at at this finish line. And the linchpin, church, of this all is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It all comes down, it all comes down to faith in Christ. This is why Hebrews 12, 2, as we read, says, looking to Jesus, right? The founder, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh. Listen, we are looking at 
a transitional moment in Genesis, a passing of the faith baton. And in this moment, this is a call for us, a call for us to realize that you are in this story. You are connected to this story. This faith baton is still being passed from one to another. This is a call to realize this is not the moment to spectate. (laughs) I don't know if many of you are, are runners or have ever run a race, but if you're running a marathon, it makes no sense for you at mile seven to just hop over that barrier and start clapping and spectating the runners as they run by. That's, that's insanity. <laughs> Now's not the time for you to spectate. Well, church, you're a bit like that. <laughs> now is not the time for you to spectate. You know what time it is right now? It's time to run. It is time to run It's not time to spectate. That's later as you join in that great cloud of witnesses. But for now, you have a race to run. You have a race to run. So as Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight. Anyone ever run with weights? Don't. (laughs) Lay them aside. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is a call, church, for us to realize that you have been handed a baton and that one day you will, when your leg of this race is over, one day you are going to pass it off. What are you passing off? And here's the beauty of this. Entry into this race has nothing to do with your ethnicity or gender, your wealth or status, health or abilities, your family history, your past, your present. (laughs) It is through faith in Jesus Christ that you get handed this faith baton. It is through faith in Christ that you get anchored into the family of God, into the long line of saints that have come before you. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that you get to look forward to that beautiful finish line. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that you grab hold of that baton and you run and run and run as long as you have been given to run. It is through faith in Jesus Christ then we get ready to pass that baton off when we finally get to the end of our leg of this race. This is the story that started in Genesis. Continued on and on through the saints. Continues on and on through the church. And will find its completion on that glorious day. Church, this is our story. Let's pray. God, what a joy it is as we get to read your word. 
as you open our eyes and as you show us your glory and your story. I am overwhelmed as I think about the way that we are a part of this grand story. And I thank you for your word, showing us what faith looks like, showing us how to walk in faith in this life. I thank you. God, and I thank you for this reminder that we are a part of this story, this grand relay race, and that we have been handed a faith baton. I pray that you give us the ability through your Holy Spirit, to run this race well. For parents here in the room, I pray that you give us the ability to run this race well, knowing that our kids are looking and watching and watching the way we run and that one day we just may have the opportunity to hand the baton. For grandparents, I pray that you give the ability to run well, knowing that so many little eyes are watching. For teachers, for anyone who works in in an office and groups of people, Lord, you place us in these unique places. And you've placed us in these unique circles and spheres of influence with a baton of faith in our hand to run our race well. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us the wisdom and the boldness to run well? Lord, would you give us the ability to keep the first things first? To stay focused on the gospel. Lord, would you help us? You are good, and we are grateful. And we do all of this for your glory, because you and you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.